Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Oh, hello, and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil. How are you? You know, I'm all right. I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed the news a bit more for once, for a change. I've liked all of the action coming out of the Biden-Harris administration. I like the talk of climate change control. I like the talk of racial equality being taken seriously and, and, and police reform being addressed so instantly. This feels hopeful. I hope they keep up the same energy throughout the next four or hopefully eight years because it feels good. I'm, I'm developing something called faith something I'd lost for a really long time. So I'll try not to get too overexcited, but damn it, we deserve to be a bit excited wherever we can because these are bleak times. I hope you're starting to feel a bit better. January's finally ending. God, January was long. Fuck me. It was like a year long. I thought it was never going to end. It was awful. It was so awful. I felt so awful during it. And so I'm enjoying that ending. And... I don't know, I'm sensing a tiny bit more positivity and energy coming back into the people around me, the people that I follow online. We're moving on. We are such resilient people. We're such a resilient generation. We should be so proud of ourselves for everything that we manage to withstand. I know I say that often, but I really mean it. Thank you, by the way, for sending so many lovely messages to Brittany Floyd Mayo. She was my guest last week. She goes by the name Trap Yoga Bay on Instagram. And she has the most extraordinary life story. One of the more extraordinary ones I've not only ever had on this podcast, but I've ever heard in my life. And if you are not into yoga, that's okay. This episode is still for you because I'm not into yoga. I'm not really into any kind of exercise in particular. And I always found it very, very inaccessible. And she talks about it in this way that makes it sound so fun and funny and invigorating and empowering and just real. It doesn't feel pretentious or inaccessible. She is diversifying the world of yoga, the world of exercise, and not just bringing black women in, but women of all different backgrounds and all different sizes. She is making yoga a party. And it's mostly just the human she is, her philosophies on life, how she's managed to develop them through such immeasurable hardship. She's such a legend. So definitely go back and give that a listen if you missed it. But for those thousands and thousands and thousands of you who did and enjoyed it, thank you for your messages. I really appreciated them. I shall try and get her back as soon as possible. And I will be featuring her more and more on my Instagram because I think she might be the legend that we need to carry us through this year. Anyway, on to this week's guest. So, This man, his name is Danny Wallace, he wrote a book many, many years ago called The Yes Man, and it became an international success, a global phenomenon. And then Jim Carrey even made a movie about his book. Now, the reason I bring this up is because this book had maybe the biggest impact on my entire life that any book ever has or may ever will, because it's about this man who's in a real slump in his life. He's just fallen apart. He's not got the energy to do anything. And he makes a snap decision one day to just start saying yes to life, start saying yes to everything, start saying yes to adventure, to find out where yes would take him in life. And it's a hilarious book full of ups and downs that yeses can take us to. And it just came at the right moment. I was coming out of my teens when I read it and I had been such a fearful, shamed, 
scared and 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 lonely, trepidatious, reticent person, the exact opposite of of the woman I am now. And I read that book and thought, maybe, maybe I'll start saying yes, but yes on my terms, not yes to what patriarchy or misogyny or society tells me to say yes to, yes to my own adventures. And so some examples of that are that one day as an English teacher, I was asked, would I like to try out for a job on national television in the UK on the biggest show, the biggest youth entertainment show they'd ever had? And I at first said no. And then I thought, well, what would Danny Wallace want me to do? He'd want me to say yes. So I went to that audition and by some miracle got it and started what has now been a 13-year career in a completely different industry, one I was never, ever planning on being in or remotely prepared for. Years later, I was told that maybe I would be good on the radio. And I thought, well, that would be really difficult and technical and humiliating if I'm bad at it. And, you know, radio is a very specific thing where you're controlling the desk at the same time as talking and you can't rely on people being able to see your facial expressions. So similarly to with podcasting, you have to communicate everything just with your voice and you feel so exposed, so naked to all of your listeners. And I I, I immediately said no. And then I thought again, well, fuck, what would Danny Wallace say? He'd say yes. He'd set himself up for the national humiliation and go for it. So I did. And, you know, that went fine. Within about a year, I was given a job as the first woman in history to ever host the official chart on BBC Radio 1, such an iconic radio station. And and it had been on air for 60 years and they'd never let a woman host it. And I would never have known that had I not decided to say yes to very likely national humiliation. And it was tough and people gave me a hard time when I started, but I persevered. Then I thought about moving to America. I was 28 years old and people were telling me I was too old and I was a size UK 12, which is a US 8. And they said I was too fat, which is fucking insane. <laughs> and they uh, they said that I was maybe too ethnic. There weren't a lot of South Asians in the American industry, both on and off camera. So there was no point me leaving this industry over in the UK where I was lucky enough to have built a name for myself against all odds. I knew that Danny Wallace would have wanted me to say yes. So I hopped on a plane on a one-way ticket with no visa, no plans, no friends. And I moved here and decided to figure out how to make a life for myself. Once here, I was asked to audition for this TV show called The Good Place with Mike Sher, And I thought, no, I can't act. I draw a line here. I will not act opposite Ted Danson and Kristen Bell, who will only make me look like an even shitter actor because they're so good. I'm not even with a bunch of amateurs. I'm with a bunch of legends. But fucking Danny Wallace always in my head. He would have wanted me to say yes. He's alive. I don't know why I'm talking about him like that. So I did. I said yes. And I went to that audition and I got it. And look at how it changed my life. My 20s and 30s have been a lifelong experience with not only the word no when it is appropriate, but also the word yes when it's appropriate for me. And some things have been a disaster, but most of it has just been so much adventure and so much excitement and so many new facets and parts of myself that I would never have found had I not just said no to fear and yes to adventure and yes to understanding that whatever you do, if you fuck it up, it's okay because it's a great story at the pub with your friends. Humiliation is very, very bonding and it's fun to talk about once it's passed. And so, you know, it goes along with everything that I always say on this podcast about failure, that I now think failure is cool. Failure is funny. Failure is an experience and and failure is noble because success isn't guaranteed. And I really think I learned that from this book. So I have him on. I talked to him a lot about this book, but we also talk about his other book, Fuck You Very Much, which he wrote a couple of years ago, brought it out at the end of 2018. And it's about rudeness and the culture of rudeness, the history of rudeness, what impact it has on us neurologically, what impact it's having on our whole society. And he wrote this before the shit show that was last year. So it's a fascinating read, especially in hindsight of where we've gotten to, where rudeness is not only prevalent to the norm online, but it's now bled offline into our offline experiences. These videos, these viral videos of the way that we talk to each other in supermarkets and treat each other and talk about masks and not wearing masks, it's a phenomenon. And so he's so funny. He's so smart. He's so interesting. And his outlook on life is just hilarious and relatable and 
he's a dream. I'm a, such a big fan. You're going to hear me pathetically just keep gushing at him during this interview. But I really think he's just incredible. And I'm so lucky that he's on my podcast. I'm thrilled to introduce you to or to reintroduce you to the excellent, my fave, Danny Wallace. Bloody hell, I've got one of my absolute heroes of all time on my podcast. It is the excellent Danny Wallace. Welcome to Iway. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. That's nice. I didn't realise I was one of your heroes. You are? Um, well, you're being very nice. Um, but no, our paths have crossed so many times over the years, so it's a pleasure to be here. And did I ever tell you any of those times that you, that did you ever know that you're my <laughs> hero? Could you do did the I? full song? No, I can't because I'd have to pay okay. for it. All right. Yeah. You're my hero, but I'm also cheap. Um, okay, fair enough. <laughs> no, I, uh, you accidentally had a profound impact, you know, I'm sure not just on my life, but many people's lives of the book you wrote in 2005 called Yes Man. And I read that book and I don't read many books because I have ADD, so I struggle, <laughs> but I could not put your book down. And for anyone who's never read this book, it is... It is a tale of someone who is tired of saying no, who finally wants to see what life would look like, I suppose. And I'm going to do a horrible job of paraphrasing it and now I'm sweating. Uh, but <laughs> who decides good. to start saying yes to the things that they formerly would have maybe said no to in, in the name of adventure. And because of that book, when a producer randomly uh, met me in a pub when I was 22, I was an English teacher, a cantankerous English teacher, uh, he said, you know, there's this globe, there's this this national audition for uh, a job on T4, which is a huge youth entertainment show in the United Kingdom, and you should go up for it. And I was like, no, 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 I would never. I think celebrities are vacuous and awful. And I, I was kind of right, and now I'm one of them, uh, and I'm terrible. Uh, but I, uh, I said no at first, and then... Not only did he say it's a thousand pounds a day, which definitely swayed me more towards the audition, <laughs> but also yeah. I'd had it in my head at that point for about three years. What would Danny Wallace do? What huh. would he tell me to do? He'd say, go to the audition because something funny yeah. might happen. I probably yeah. won't get the job, but something I might get even just get a great story for the pub. And so yes. I went to that audition because of you and started my entire career. And I became a TV presenter, which then led to, you know, me being asked if I wanted to try radio. And I at first thought, no, because I don't know what I'm doing and I have terrible imposter <laughs> syndrome. And then I thought, fuck, Danny Wallace would be so disappointed in me. This man wow. who I've never met. I was like, if I don't just go and try a job on Radio 1 and then ended up being able to get my own show no over there. Way. The same thing happened when I moved to America, even though I was told by everyone not to do it, that I would, they said that I was too old, too fat and too ethnic uh, at 28 <laughs> and a size UK 12 <laughs> and just Indian and Pakistani. Uh, they said, don't do it. And I, I did because of Yes Man and I moved over and then I was asked by my agents to try out acting and go to this audition for The Good Place. And at first I said no. And once again, your fucking book from wow. 2005 popped into my head and I just thought, do it for the lull, do it for the adventure. Yeah. And so now I'm still here pissing everyone off on Twitter because <laughs> of you, it's your fault. It's Danny Wallace's fault. But thank you. Thank you for changing my life with your book. Thank you for, for telling me. I, I had no idea that it went as far back as um, as T4 and, and, and Radio 1. I remember the night you, I, I think you got the, the good place. Yeah. And I happened to be in LA mm -hmm. and uh, I got a text from you just going, um, I need to talk to you. I was like, well, what's, what's happened? <laughs> and I was like, of course, of course. And you rang up and you told me, um, you know, about the good place. And it was just the most extraordinary. And um, I mean, the, the kind of the joy in your voice and um, also the, the, the self-deprecation. Terror. Um, <laughs> Some terror. terror. <laughs> um, but also just the kind of the, it was, it was a, such a vibrant kind of delightful phone call. And I was just over the moon for you. And, um, and you know, you've not stopped really, have you? So, so <laughs> I haven't. I, I will not stop. 
um, because <laughs> of you. Uh, I can't truly, I, and I've said this, you know, before in interviews, I'm sure, I'm sure to your horror if you've even seen it, but really anal <laughs> is the only thing I still haven't said yes to. Everything other than that, I have taken all the other risks. I'm just still well, very no. protective over my asshole. But I, uh, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but other yeah. than that, I have, I, that's it. I have dedicated, it's like my, it's my fucking Bible. It's so weird. Well, that's that's extraordinary, and you know, I'm I'm pleased there are some things you say no to. It's never gone that far for me either. Um, <laughs> Still, <laughs> I should, I'm on that on record. Protect, um, but, protected that little guy, yeah. <laughs> but 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 that's exactly the kind of the 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 point of the book um, that I found out is that it's great to say yes more, mm-hmm. um, and saying yes more is the is the kind of the key to it. Saying yes to everything. Um, is you know probably uh, quite extreme and um, not to be recommended. Yeah, um, don't no join is ISIS. A great word. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no is a wonderful word as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that by saying yes, um, you open up uh, a world of opportunity. And like you say, maybe it'll be nothing. Maybe it will be. Um, it could be slightly humiliating. Mm-hmm. Um, something you've said yes to, but it's far better to do things um, and regret them. I think than to never do anything. And live with that regret, um, to never have stories, um, to never have gone somewhere you never ordinarily would have gone or met someone you ordinarily never would have met. Truly. Um, and once you start saying yes, it's almost like dominoes. They, they lead to more things. And I think you can track back all the best things that have happened to you in your life to a yes. Um, so it's such a small word, but it's such a big attitude. Yes and no um, are the two biggest words, I think, maybe in the English language, truly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, not literally. It's, you know, but yeah. pe- people sometimes ask me if I'd, I'd write a book called No Man. And um, <laughs> while that would be fun, and certainly in lockdown, it'd be very easy. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be a very short book because it would just be a series <laughs> of phone calls and then me just saying no and putting yeah. the phone down. Whereas if you can kick that door down and get out there, um, as you have done, um, then good things can happen. Okay, so well, anyway, I just want to thank you again. Thank you again for the ridiculous impact you've had on my life and for all the many books that you have written since and Awkward Situations for Men and Charlotte Street, like just so many things that I love so much, including your shortlist co- column, which was such a staple for me when I lived in London. But uh-huh. um, I also want to talk to you about uh, a newer book. It came out two years ago, but I feel like it's never been more relevant than it is now. It's almost, mm-hmm. it's almost, it was almost a psychic act to put that out yeah. before the pandemic but you wrote a book called (laughs) fuck you very much about rudeness and i would love to talk to you about it first of all the genesis of this book will you tell me what happened how you decided to write a book about rudeness of course um weirdly it chimes into what we were talking about a minute ago with that kind of empathy divide it it just felt to me that the world was getting narrower and more divided and i couldn't put my finger on it and i think that probably for years i've been weirdly writing about this or this sort of human behavior but it all kind of came down to one moment that clarified it for me where um, I wanted a hot dog. And I quite like hot dogs. And mm-hmm. hot dogs are um, easy to buy. You walk I won't in tell Greta Thunberg. That's fine. Don't tell her, yeah, please. Exactly. <laughs> um, and um, uh, you walk into a place that sells them and you say, I want one. And they go, here you are. And that's it. That's the whole thing. That's what should happen. Yeah. And um, it was a bank holiday and we were near the seaside. And my son wanted a hot dog and I wanted a hot dog. And like something, just like a sort of a vision, there was a place and it sold hot dogs. And I was like, I've got this. So we go in and um, the little tinkle of the bell as I walk in and I look up and I see this lady. And I don't know if you've ever walked into almost anywhere where just by walking in, Mm -hmm. you seem to have annoyed the person (laughs) who you thought wanted you to be there. And I walked in and I caught this scowl, this glance. And it was almost like, oh, here's another one after a hot dog, is he? And so I walked up and, uh, you know, I, I kind of uh, went, hi, can I, um, can I, can I uh, get a hot dog, please, and a hot dog for my son? And she said, you have to pay up front. And that was a weird thing to say because, you know, I was going to pay for it. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to. And also, I don't go it's around very ordering mafioso. hot dogs. Yeah, yeah. I don't go around, like, just ordering hot dogs and running away. So, you know, <laughs> I wasn't a flight risk at this point. So I was like, yeah, fine, you know. And, it, and these were quite expensive hot dogs. You know, these were sort of the gourmet side of okay. hot dogs with right. all sorts of toppings and this and that. Anyway, um, we weren't allowed to stand inside and wait. We had to go outside and wait, but that's fine because, you know, hot dogs don't take long. And, you know, maybe 10 minutes passed 
And there was no sign of them even starting the hot dog. And I was reassuring my son. I go, no, don't worry. You know, they seem to know what they're doing. But after a little while later, I sort of thought, well, I need to go in and see where this hot dog is. So I, I creep in, tinkle of the bell again, the scowl again. And uh, I'm like, I'm just, uh, and I do everything I, I can. I put my hands up, right, almost in like defeat. And like, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not a trouble here. And I make my voice go higher the way I'm doing now. And I raise my eyebrows. The whole thing is like, you know, I know you're under pressure and this is a hot dog play. You know, and I just go, I'm just wondering about the, uh, just wondering about the hot dog. And I even blame my son. I go, for, you know, for, for my little boy. Um, it's using, sort of his, using his him as a human, human shield. shield yeah yeah that's great yeah <laughs> and um and she is just like um she's infuriated and she goes there's two tables ahead of you and we cook to order and again i thought that was a weird thing to say because i've been to restaurants and you order something and they cook it and i know how that works so i just go okay fine to cut a long story very short um it was an hour and one minute what do they do before- kill the pig in that time like what is happening <laughs> I know. And I'd been in, you know, once or twice very politely again. And right. all I did was incur her wrath. And at that point, I thought, this is too much. And so I went in and I went, I'd, I'd like to cancel the order, please. And she went, you can't, which sounded, you know, yeah, dodgy. that's at what the I thought. Time. And, and uh, she said a very weird thing. She went, you're probably the sort of people who'd queue for 40 minutes for fish and chips. And I have what no idea that what mean? that means. I know it's, it was, I, I, I took it as an insult. I think it was given to me as an insult, but it didn't make sense. So I was like, look, just give me the money back. And then she basically, she took some coins and threw them down. And now I'm like totally emasculated, scrabbling around on the floor, picking up coins. And then I leave the restaurant and um, I turn around and I look at my son and I can tell that he's thinking, what happened there? Why couldn't two grown ups? A, buy a hot dog and B, sell a hot dog. Bearing in mind, as, as I pointed out, this woman, the only reason she got up that morning was to sell hot dogs. And then I walk in going, I'd like a hot dog. And that should be as far as it goes. And I, I, I look at it through his eyes and I go, what, what did go wrong there between us? Did I do something wrong? Was I rude somehow? Um, did I interrupt her in some way? Am I not thinking about something? Was she going through something? Uh, or is she just like that? Is she just a bit of a dick? Or is there a bigger story there? Yeah. And it did some weird things to me. Um, the first was that a couple of nights later, I was driving past that same hot dog place. Yeah. And it was dark. And it was, you know, nighttime. And the streets were empty. And there was no one in the hot dog place. And the lights were out. And I found myself driving by and flipping off, you know, <laughs> using my middle finger um, at um, an empty building. which I'm is so not- English. <laughs> It's, it's just not a normal thing to do. And I was probably like, fuck you, you know, building. And the poor building is probably just like, I've been standing here for generations. What's this, what's this guy's problem? And I also found it that it wouldn't go away. It wouldn't go away. And I had to exercise these feelings. Because when someone is rude to you, out of the blue, yeah, maybe over a sustained period, it messes with your brain. And, you know, I've since found out it messes with the frontal lobes because your brain is trying to make sense of this information. And the information is just wrong because we've all signed, like, you know, a made-up societal contract not to do that to each other. Mm -hmm. And when someone does it, you're confused and you're trying to make sense of it. And it's a puzzle you can't solve. So I thought the only way to do this, and I'd never done this before in my life, and I don't think I've done it since, um, I decided to write an online review. And I joined TripAdvisor. Oh, my God. And you I became a Karen. Using, yeah. And I was using pompous <laughs> language, you know, using words I would never normally use, like vociferous or invidious or, you know, to sound posh. Yeah. And this sort of 200-word review spiralled out of control and became an 85,000-word book um, all about rudeness. Oh, um, and, and my sort God. And what, what happened that day between me and this woman um, and it's almost like JFK, you know, the film JFK, where they look at the magic bullet from like 50 different angles. Yeah. I talked to psychologists, psychiatrists. I talked to NASA engineers, politicians, personalities, anyone I could. A, about rudeness, but I would always drop in afterwards, you know, like, so So, what do you what do you make of the hot dog situation? <laughs> to try and sort of, I realized I was trying to get people on my side because when someone's rude to you and you share that story with someone else, right. you want them to be on your side. And it got to the point where I even started my own, um, and it cost several thousand pounds. It was very silly of me, but I did my own national survey, which started off um, being about rudeness, <laughs> but ended up with four or five questions about, um, you know, the British public's attitude to how long you'd wait for a hot dog. 
So all these people doing this survey, thousands of them must have been like, I sort of get where this is going, but why does it end on hot dogs the whole way? <laughs> and anyway, I won't spoil the book for you, but I will say that um, more than 98% of the British public um, think I was right that day. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that is something, it's the, it's the furthest I've ever gone to win an argument. Let's put it that way. Oh my goodness. That, oh God, I so understand that instinct. And yet, and yet I find myself jaded. I find mm. myself weirdly accustomed to rudeness now. Yeah. And I think maybe partially because oh. I've been on Twitter since 2009. Yeah, that that'll do it. I have, it just is water off a dust. People are so rude to and about me all day, mm. every day, mm. that it just kind of feels like it. I actually, I'm, I'm stunned by a compliment or a kind comment now. That's mm. the kind of thing that will jar my frontal lobe. Because I'm, I'd like, and I think that we as a society, especially after the last year, it was so vitriolic and scary and, and understandable as well. And so many people stuck in these like insane situations where they were just so, under so much pressure and being so failed by politicians and we're being so manipulated to be divided against each other and social media algorithms are fucking with our, you know, our take on how the opposition, the quote unquote opposition feel, even though we're all just human beings suffering at the same time in similar ways. Uh, I think that rudeness has become like a way of life. And, you know, you even spoke in the book about how rudeness travels further, like outrage travels further and faster in our current day society. I'd love to know more about what you learned in the book about like the well, science of rudeness. Well, like you say, with, with social media, we, we've sort of been taught, I think it goes back to, you know, the... the <sighs> It goes back to TV, obviously, and um, I think that it may even go back to Anne Robinson on The Weakest Link. Do you remember? Yeah. It was so um Happy uh, to blame her for literally anything. Go on. <laughs> and it wasn't her fault because it was just yeah, like a was. new take, but she was so rude to people <laughs> yeah. that it was like, oh, my God, have you seen this thing? Yeah. And someone's being rude to someone else on TV and they're broadcasting it. And it was so alien, that idea. And then she sort of monetized it because then we, um, she went off to America and she was on billboards and it was like, look at this rude woman. She's going to be rude to people Although on TV. I, I will say that I feel like Bernard Manning and people like that, I think it was the first time we'd seen a woman be really rude and unlikable and unplicating. But yes, totally. That was definitely when we realized that that was a huge thing. Well, she was being rude to ordinary members of the public. Yeah who just turned up to do a nice quiz show. Yeah. Um, Bernard Manning and people like that. Yeah, you know, all, you know, they, absolutely. But when it came to dealing with the public yeah. um, at sort of 5.30 in the evening on BBC One or whatever <laughs> yeah. it was, it was it was ridiculous. And it was sort of refreshing. And that's when people talk about refreshing honesty or refreshingly rude. And yeah. I think that refreshing is the wrong word to use for that, particularly now because it's become such a trope. It led to, you know, um, I mean, we were exporting rudeness. We sent Anne Robinson, then we sent Nasty Nigel on some dancing show. We sent I think, Piers Morgan. We sent Piers Morgan and, and he, he got can sent stay back. there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Simon Cowell, of course. And yeah. any of these people who, without that kind of that grounding, had they been that rude to people out of the blue, they never would have worked again. It's just that <laughs> we we sort of started to kind of enjoy it. And then that led to, in reality TV shows, you know, a lot of the people on the first series of Big Brother were quite nice to each other, but it was the people who were horrible um, who got more airtime and then got the magazine deals afterwards and then got more attention. And even though it was kind of people going, they're not very nice, it was attention and it was money. And so people started to realise, if I say things like, um, I'm not being funny, but it means I can then be incredibly rude. And there was nothing funny about what they were saying at all. They were correct in, in sort of that statement. But it, it, they used it as an excuse to be able to then be rude to other people. Oh, and, I'm and just being honest, who, so therefore I must be oh, right. Yeah, That's the worst one. Mm. You know, somehow putting yourself up as being brave or like uncompromising when actually what you're doing is being a dick. And we're not allowed to question you because mm. we have to go, well, you were being so honest there. And you weren't being honest. You don't really feel that way. You, 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 you're saying that for attention um, and to give yourself, put yourself above others. Yeah. And the same is true of social media, that the, the things that cut through, the things that will upset you or upset me, the things that will travel, um, the things that will get retweeted tend to be more cutting and horrible than the probably 95% of nice things that you see, but immediately forget because then you scroll down and you see that one idiot. 
Um, and so it's a sense, it's a sort of power that people have. It's mm. like a little superpower where they can be important in the moment by putting someone else down. And they don't realize that really they're dragging themselves down as well. And it has a huge impact on the world. Rudeness, um, some studies showed that rudeness travels um, almost the way a cold travels. So if you witness someone in uh, an office being rude to someone else, mm -hmm you are far more likely to then be ruder yourself later on or to see rudeness where no rudeness was intended. So you'll see someone being horrible to someone else. Then maybe you'll get an email from someone and it's completely neutral, completely passive. But maybe, I don't know, they've put a little kiss on the end and you're like, what the hell does that mean? What are they, what, is that sarcastic? What are they doing? And it upsets you because you start doubting people or, or, or wondering what they really think. And then and maybe you're maybe snipey then, at that person and then that person maybe misinterprets something else in there. It's a domino effect of rudeness. Yeah. And you take it home with you and people who have suffered a lot of incivility at work, they need to knock off, right? Because of course you do, because it's rolling around in your head. What do you mean? <laughs> well, they, they, they might have a gin and tonic. <laughs> right. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> they might, they yeah, might no, no, do something a little more yeah, polite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, but they might be snappier at their partner or they might not sleep as well. Then they'll be snappier the next day. Then their partner is going to be snappier to people. And it just rolls on and it's like a wildfire. Um, and this is what these studies have, have, have kind of shown. And it can seem like that's a little thing to talk about. Well, there's a few grouchy people. But through my research, I found these incredible stories. I mean, it could have been a silly book, but it actually turned into something a bit dark at some points because I found out all this stuff about, um, I mentioned earlier about the frontal lobes and how that's what we use to make sense of the world and, and problem solve. And that's fine if, you know, you have jobs like us, but if you have a job where you're kind of in charge of other people's safety, say, you're the guy who's about to weigh someone before you kick them off a bridge for their bungee jump or you're the woman who has to talk to all the dispatchers and you're, you know, all the kind of the lorries and trucks going around the or place. Or a and fucking air traffic controller. Or a pilot. Yeah. Or a surgeon. They showed that um, in these studies in Tel Aviv where they had to, they had all these teams that were simulating an operation on a, on a, on a fake baby. And a bunch of them were left to it. And a bunch of them were interrupted halfway through by a very rude American surgeon who said i'm observing you and none of you would last five minutes in my hospital and the ones who were left alone did perfectly well and the ones who just had a moment of rudeness they fell to pieces they were miscommunicating they were picking up the wrong instruments they were administering the wrong doses and um, a lot of them lost the fake baby um, in this situation and it was shown that Surgeons are approximately 50% less effective if they have uh, suffered incivility beforehand. I had a message from a, a hospital just the other day who'd read the book and have, um, I, was, I was very pleased they've um, realigned or redesigned um, a lot of their practices based on this because it's such a problem. People talk about leading causes of death in America and Britain, and they talk about heart disease and they talk about cancer. Um, and they don't tend to talk about medical error. Um, as much because you just kind of go, oh, well, they happened. And, uh, you know, how did they happen? It was just an error. But it seems like things like this, the way we treat each other, um, the way uh, we disrespect each other sometimes can have such an effect on, 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 on people doing really important things that they can no longer do those important things in the way that we would want them to. So, you know, if anyone's listening to this and you're about to go under the knife, I'm sure um, everyone's been perfectly polite to your surgeon. Please don't worry. Um, but it does mean that we really need to kind of look at how we treat each other because it can have a huge impact and, in fact, maybe even a life-threatening one. I'm having a big medical thing in, like, a couple of weeks. I'm going to bring fucking flowers, champagne, Take flowers. Yeah, a the vibrator, like, whatever I have to. Maybe not just a make sure that yeah, yeah just, make sure that the surgeon is self isolated and you're the only person that they talk to. Yeah, that's it. Oh my god, I might bring like a like a, a singing quartet, like whatever I yeah. can do to cheer them the fuck up. Do it. That is that is so interesting and also terrifying. That is a terrifying statistic. It's terrifying, but also that you know they're, they're working on it. There's a guy called Amir Erez, um, and he is um, an Israeli uh, academic. Um, 
He, he's my favourite Israeli academic. <laughs> he's the only one I know. <laughs> well, I guess now um, he's mine. Yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, but he, he's working on certain things and they're finding these little, almost like, it's almost like an inoculation, a rudeness inoculation or a vaccination. Wow. They're working on ways of um, tricking doctors' minds um, to kind of become used to the rudeness that they're about to face in the emergency room or from desperate family members or from people who right. don't think they're doing enough. And you can imagine right now the pressures and strains. I was just thinking about NHS in particular, like how yeah. underpaid they are, how understaffed yeah, and, uh, they are. That's the National Health Service in the United Kingdom because um, yeah. we have a free healthcare service. And I, c- I can't imagine the circumstances under which they are working and what they are facing from, from the top down, you know, from even the people yeah. who are supposed to be organising their funding or how much equipment they have or how much PPE they have. Yeah. The offence of that down to the way that the the desperation of the people that they are trying so hard to help. And they walk out of some hospitals in London at the moment and there are people shouting, you know, this is all made up and you're a liar. And this will have a huge impact on their mental health and their ability to do what, you know, they're they're trying to do. But Amir Erez developed almost like a little video game um, that they can play for 20 minutes before they go out there. Was it people just like abusing you? Like non-stop. I think, I think, I think, sort of. Because I was asking <laughs> wow. him, you know, I, I was asking him what kind of words count as rude that would have an effect on a doctor, and I thought it would be like big old swear words. Yeah, but yeah. it can be, it can be gentle words as well. It can just be little words. Um, it can be as soft as the word bother. It's like we have such thin skin that the minute we kind of scratch at it, we we allow things in. And they just all have connotations yeah. that, that link to each other and, and make us think of rudeness the whole time. Bloody hell. But again, then that kind of goes back to what I was saying at the top of this sort of portion of this podcast of that I feel as though I my being on Twitter and being a very outspoken woman and, you know, controversial sometimes has kind of been my version of this, of this uh, Israeli academics <laughs> game, which is that I'm now so hyper-normalised to it that it just honestly doesn't bother me anymore. I now, yeah. I think I've kind of, I've, it, I've aversion therapy time like on steroids, basically. You know, I, I've, I've faced the rudest, the worst, like the most gaslighting. People have accused me of like having Munchausen's or like Piers Morgan's made fun of my mental health. Like I've, I've had so much like relentless smear campaigning and attacks that I've kind of become hardened kind of. And I don't think, I don't look to that as a positive thing. It's great for me because as an activist, you kind of, I mean, that is just the, that's just the, that's just, that's just how it is. Especially if you're a woman, especially if you're a woman of colour, like you are just more likely to antagonise people and people are more likely to shut you down. But I do often look at my hardened self as something that I find a bit sad like that, I don't that, know. That's, that the, the it's a it, shame the, that we have to do that, but it, it is, is also realistic. It is, and th- from 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 my point of view, having um, watched you and um, and and seen you, you know, um, have a bigger and bigger audience, and um, become, you know, what you've become um, and uh, becoming and will become, um, it's been great because you. It's almost like a superpower that you've just gone. No, you've just gone. No. Nah. I'm not. I'm not losing control of this. Mm. So, with this sort of the you know the the, the social media uh, people because they're hidden, it's often very very um, uh, difficult. We always assume that rudeness and and this kind of contra- um, this this uh, antagonism um, arises because of the anonymity of the internet. Mm. Um, whereas actually, it's it's a lot to do with a lack of eye contact. And there's been various studies that show that that um, you are far more likely to be aggressive to someone if you can't see them. And this even goes for people sending IMs in an office. You're much more likely to be rude to someone in your own office mm-hmm. if it's just over a screen. And so you times that by a thousand where these people don't even know you and they're saying this stuff to you. And you, you know, you're fast and you're funny. So you can come back and and it's kind of it's a it's a full stop it's a period on the conversation you've won when it's these people who are you know in inverted commas in power you you're kind of morgans or or whoever yeah, yeah. that do it you're still faster and funnier than them and they're still attacking you but you're standing up to them mm. you're not kind of going to you know it's i i think always fight fire with fire and if they do it to you you can do it to them the trick is to not go further because that gives them uh, so much power so you just you block it you use it as a shield and you you beat them 
And if they do anything else, if they say anything else, that's on them and it makes them look a dick. Sure. But you also, you sort of suffer a different type of rudeness as well, which is dressed up as um, observation. Um, it's sort of dressed up as complimentary, but it's um, it'll be if I'm flicking through the internet and I suddenly see, oh, Jamila's put on another uh, leggy display or another busty display. <laughs> yeah. <for> <laughs> Flaunting <laughs> my curves, Danny. I hope you know it's, I'm always exactly. trying to flaunt my curves. Always flaunting them. I yeah. mean, I, I, I was wearing shorts most of the summer. Not one person said I was putting on a leggy display. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. So what the fuck do we do then? What do we do with this? Like anyone who's listening to this, like I'm, I'm listening to this thinking, I could be, I could be more polite. I could, I could work on making sure that I, a bow out of uh, combat a little bit sooner, maybe. And I think I'm generally a very polite person, especially in person. I think sometimes online I can be a bit of a sassy bitch because again I'm not looking <laughs> someone in the eye, uh, and I, I won't normally, normally uh, be the first, lay the first blow. But I'm definitely thinking about how I can make sure that I'm much more conscious going forward of my interactions with everyone online or over email or over text and making sure that I don't contribute to someone else's bad day. And I'm now thinking about the chain of rudeness, which I've never contemplated before. That's really going to stay with me. So for anyone else who's listening to this, what what has been your kind of conclusion? What do you think we take forward? How do, how do you think we take this forward? <sighs> Well, I think it's 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 fairly obvious stuff. It's um, there's a reason that most religions, no matter what they believe in, they can agree on one thing, which is you know do unto others as you'd have done unto you. Yeah. But that doesn't stop others doing unto you what you would rather not do to them. Yeah. I, I always think of social media as, um, and I you know um, I, I I'm never sort of outright rude um, to people. I hope, um, but again, it's that thing of you know I'll, I'll match them, but I will I will. I will be happy to leave them to it. You have to think of social media, I think, as a party. 
um, you have to think of it as you're walking into a place. And if someone's come up and been rude to you, Mm -hmm. um, you're allowed to defend yourself. But you've got to remember there are other people at the party and, you know, they can all see and hear everything that's happening. So you have to sort of see it through their eyes as well. And Mm -hmm. that can help temper your own behaviour that hopefully will then teach the other person uh, what not to do. I I sometimes, if someone's really rude to me on um, Twitter, um, uh, I like to distract them. Um, it's a sort of, um, it's almost like a Darren Brown technique. I love watching um, this happen. Yes, please continue. Well, so, well, I, I always remember Darren Brown um, saying, so, and he's like a hypnotist and a kind of um, a psychologist, um, saying that if you were getting mugged and someone said, give me your wallet, you should say something like, but I haven't got any tables. And it confuses them <laughs> because again, they're like, well, sorry, what? You go, I haven't got any tables. Said, no, I didn't say tables. I, I said, I want to mug you or whatever. You know, you sort of, you break down that moment. And it's the same thing I apply to Twitter sometimes. By the way, I did go, that once. I got mugged and I broke into song. <laughs> I broke it. I sang, I feel pretty in a very high pitched voice and made myself look possessed. And they walked away from me. It was insane. It was outside a cash point, And I was like, I feel pretty. And oh they just God. thought I, you know, was like deranged. They didn't know what I was going to do. And they started like slowly backing away from me. So that does sometimes yeah. work. It's not always going to work. And I need everyone no. to sometimes just hand over the fucking phone. But yeah, probably, always probably worth the, the shot. Advice. And also I find that that was one of the creepier songs I could have chosen. Well, it was the way you as well, the way you sort yeah. of cocked your head forward yeah. and your hair came down. You look like one of those, um, the, you know, the, the sort of the, well, the class, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. Grudge, the, sort of the Japanese. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you were channeling that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm so pleased you're thousands of miles away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But if we then hang this up and you crawl through my monitor, yeah, which I will. That one, okay, okay. Um, but distracting, <laughs> uh, distracting is something I'll do. So I'll just kind of, um, it's humanizing, you know. Uh, it's it's kind of so he'll say something horrible to me, and I'll just go, oh man, oh well, and I'll go, what what are you having for your dinner tonight? And sometimes they'll tell me, and they'll just go sausages, <laughs> and I go, and I'll always go, oh lovely. Oh, lovely. I love sausages. Um, are you having mash with it? And they'll be like, well, yeah. And they'll still try and sort of find some anger from somewhere. But now we're talking about sausage and mash. So um, I think that sometimes giving people the opportunity to look at their own behavior uh-huh. by normalizing yourself and them and the fact that you're reminding them that you're both human yes, um, can be very powerful. And it can be something really silly, just like saying, you know, um, did you see? Were you, were you watching anything on telly? You got? Have you got a PS Five yet? And they're just like, "What the hell?" But they want to answer you because it's sort of polite. So either they'll go away. Um, but very rarely have I found that they are able to sustain any level of anger towards me. So their brain I've is just- sort of short circuiting because they don't know because their brain is prepared for combat, and then you've just pushed them into this different part of like logical side of their the logical lobe. Yeah, you're hopefully showing them they have a better side and tapping into the better part of their brain where they think about nice things. So I don't know, it's sort of worked for me, but, but I think that um, feeling like, uh, you know, it's a, it can be witnessed is one thing you're, you're broadening out and you're, you're showing that there's a wider world there. Uh, breaking the cycle of the rudeness is quite a, a yeah. powerful thing. Um, you can kill with kindness you can be extremely polite, but that actually I find can just infuriate them more. Yeah, but um, I've tried that before. And then I've tried one that went so fucking wrong. Oh my God, it went so badly. I was like, I think you should try therapy. Like I used to be like you. No, no, oh, that no, went, it no. went so fucking wrong and it turned out to be a teenager. Yeah. And I was like, oh my uh, God, oh. now I look like a fucking even bigger asshole. But I genuinely yeah. meant it from my heart where I was like, I used to be just like you. I was like, I used to say shit like this to celebrities. I was a troll. And I was like, yeah. I just needed therapy. Like maybe you should get therapy. And now what that's transmuted to online is I told a teenager to get therapy because they didn't like me. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. no, that definitely wasn't what I was trying to do. I was just trying to say... I f- I understand the mm-hmm. rage you have and why you feel like it's okay to talk to me a stranger or about me like this. Like, yeah. like, you, like natural, there might be some pain to there to for that. you to investigate. Never doing yeah. that again. That went so fucking. Oh no. my. Oh my god. Um, just don't ask do them that. if they've seen the new Batman. I will. I'll just be like, "Hello, how are you?" I'm definitely going to start doing this. I'm going to become so annoyingly inquisitive about people's private lives now as soon as <laughs> yeah. I'm trolled. I'm so excited yeah. to do this. I feel like Sarah yeah. Silverman. Oh, I see, I see your name's Margaret. My auntie's called Margaret. Yeah. It's like, what? what? 
you know. So <laughs> or I'll you just, just start just, singing, I feel pretty again. <laughs> yeah, take the keys out of the car. That's kind of what it's doing. It's just taking the keys out of the car. Yeah, I think that's fucking brilliant. So just all of us maintaining a little bit of sense, kindness, and knowing that your rudeness doesn't always go exactly where you direct. Like sometimes the debris of that rudeness can fly elsewhere where you wouldn't have wanted it to go. Yeah. That there is a knock-on effect. Fascinating. Oh, I love this. This is so interesting. I find this so interesting. Um, so, okay, another thing I want to talk to you about. You are yeah. famously a dad. Hmm. <laughs> famously a father. Um, well, fam- yeah, in my house I have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, how How many children do you have? At the last count, it was three, but right. they move very fast, and it can be it can be they're very noisy, so it can sound like more. But um, I've counted them, and it's three, and it's um, it's great. Um, it's uh, I'm an only child, and so I grew up in a, a very quiet house where people just sat down and read books. Right, and um, this is very Jane Eyre of you. Very much so. And we, I we can didn't imagine you places. in your little corset and your bonnet, <laughs> yeah, just reading. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, so I, I basically just heard grown-ups talking the whole time. And if we went on holiday, um, it would be, you know, to some hotel somewhere. And then it would be punctuated by day trips to monasteries on coaches that take four hours to get there. Fun. And so, you know, so I'm trying to... Um, uh, embrace another way of, of of doing as much sort of fun stuff as I can with them, and um, it's. Uh, I guess we've we've managed all right in 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 sort of lockdown, but the, my eldest has just turned eleven, so I've had you know more than a decade of noise and um, lack of sleep, and my youngest is um, only three, and so it's been this sustained period mm. of sort of broken sleep and all that kind of stuff. But it's all, you know, it's obviously a joy, but that's, you know, that's the ball. Let's all just accept it's a joy. We don't have to talk about that. Sure. It can also be, um, you know, I, I, I like stories. I like it when, whenever anything goes wrong in my life, the way I treat it is, well, you know what? It's a story. And it's just what you were saying right at the start. Yeah. Um, I go, it doesn't matter. It's a story. It's a funny story for the and pub. That's how I look at truly it's everything. It's a funny story. Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 and with my kids, I try and teach them that if they've made a mistake I, and they feel really bad about it, I go, that's fine. You know, it, it's actually, it's a great thing that you made that mistake because now you don't ever have to make it again because mm-hmm. you've done it. So it's an achievement in a sense. You've unlocked an achievement and you've done that and you know how you feel. Now you can go to bed happy because you know that you never have to do that again. But also, you know, um, I had uh, Dr. Deepika Chopra on this podcast and she told yeah. me that the most effective way the brain ever hangs on to new information is via a mistake. That that is the yeah. number one most effective way for us neurologically to rem- to maintain and remember new information. That it's our- an imprint, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's a corrective it's the most powerful imprint. imprint. Yeah. Sorry, as you were saying. No, no, no. But that, so it's 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 sort of stuff like that, really. Trying to err on the on the positive, um, and you know, when when my when my son gets back from school, I don't say, um, "What did you learn?" Um, I always I, I say, "What made you laugh today?" And it, it's a little insight into him and his friends and stories that he wouldn't tell me. Um, because it would just, they'd be gone. But then we can remember it and enjoy it together. And it tells me so much about him and his social group and the things that they find funny and the things they're talking about and what's important to him. And I want him to feel that laughing uh, is important and just as valid as um, fractions or trigonometry or anything like that. Um, oh, I don't know about so that. Much- trigonometry has really <laughs> carried me through. <laughs> <laughs> but they give, they give me stories, you know. It's like... Um, I was thinking about this just yesterday, and it's a story I can't really. I don't know if I can tell my son, but I'm sure he'd be fine with it. He's very. Um, he can laugh at himself, and it's all good. But when he was really little, there was a proper little bonding moment between me and him, um, which was um, uh, he he. I popped him on the toilet, right, mm-hmm. and he was going to have a little wee, and then I left the room for a second, and I just heard this scream this proper primal scream, a scream that you identify immediately as pain. And you're like, oh my, so you ran back in. And he tried to get himself off the toilet. But in doing so, he had um, caught or scraped certain elements of himself. Um, uh, oh. Not not the main element, just the supporting elements, oh, if you know what I mean. Oh no. Of, of his gentleman's agreements. And um, there was there was... There was pain there. There was a lot of pain. And I was standing there and I was like, 
oh my God, I know, I know, it's going to be all right. And he's looking up at me with like tears in his eyes and I'm going, just walk it off, walk it off. And he he knows that I can solve this, right? Because I've solved every other thing. And he looks up at me and he says, kiss it better. <laughs> oh my God. And and I'm like, huh? I, I, I'm like, I can't. <laughs> and he's looking up at me and the tears are now streaming because I've always been able to kiss things better, but I'm going, I, I can't do that. And he's like, why? And I'm going, I just can't. And he's like, kiss it better. And I'm like, walk it off, walk it off. <laughs> and, you know, um, and, and obviously these are, these are issues that you have to deal with as a, as a, as, as a father. And the, the, I couldn't really go into why uh, I, I was unable to do that. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, uh, but, but things like that, I'm, I'm just like, oh, what the, you know, I can't wait to tell someone about that, but I better wait for a while. <laughs> I love that. I, I don't want. I don't want him retelling the story, you know, and getting it wrong at yeah, school. Exactly. And then suddenly I'm in handcuffs. <laughs> and he kissed it better. <laughs> and we've been so close ever since. <laughs> Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation and you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Oh yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. You and I were discussing yesterday when I, I did the kind of little pre-chat with you about what kind of revelation it is to you to see competition or to see all these traits that you couldn't really have identified with yourself as an only child. Like, I I don't think people talk enough about being an only child. And I feel like only children get a bit of a bad rep for only the kind of bad things about being an only child, like the sort of selfishness or inability maybe to always think of someone else first or to empathise first. For, you, do you know what I mean? Like being an only I child do. is something that definitely is slightly, slightly stigmatised. I was so surprised as an only child when I... I think it was when I sort of went to university and people then they ask you all the normal stuff, you know, where did you grow up? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, you got brothers and sisters. And I never realized that being an only child meant that people thought you were probably selfish in that way. Yeah. For me and for the only children who are friends of mine, what, what bonded us was kind of the opposite in, 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 in a lot of ways because we didn't feel uh, that we were the center of the world and we didn't act in a particularly selfish way i think because we had to make friends and the way you make friends is to think of others and to you get empathy um that way and um and you have to develop a a a, a strange sort of confidence to be able to go on holiday, as I said before, you know, to, with your parents and you know you're going to go to a monastery, but you can't wait to get back to the hotel because there's a games room. But when you go into the games room, there's going to be all these kids who know each other or who are brother and sister, and you've got to make a friend. And I used to just say to my parents, I'm off to make a friend. And then I would go and make a friend. And you can't make a friend if you're selfish. That's quite, um, I, I, that doesn't sound terribly traditional. Like that feels like that. Cause I think people go one way or the other. Some people really just don't know how to make friends because they spend time, they end up get, getting like a games console or something and they don't mm. learn how to make friends. That's really interesting. I wonder if there's something about the way that you and your friends maybe were raised that made you more kind of confident to go out there. Well, we were given, I was given lots of confidence by my mum and certainly I never wanted for attention, you know, and, um, and that all helps. Um, but equally, I moved around a lot as a kid. And so we moved every, you know, however many years and, you know, up and down the country and then to Berlin for a bit and back. 
And so I was constantly meeting new people and having to fit in. Right. And when I when I when I grew up, I, I until I was about eight, I had a very very strong Scottish accent. And had you actually been to Scotland, or was that just a weird thing? <laughs> I had a bump on the head. Yeah. And I woke up as uh, Gerard Butler. Um, the no, I was from Dundee, and um, that's quite a strong accent as well, yeah. and quite impenetrable um, to a lot of people. And there are certain words I say that are still Dundonian, um, but for the most part, I sound like this. And um, but when I got to Loughborough, I went to Loughborough, and um, I don't think anyone had ever moved to Loughborough before because they were all just <laughs> staring at me. <laughs> like they thought there was something wrong with me and I had a part in the school play and the rehearsal went very well and I was this, the weatherman there was a very famous Scottish weatherman at the time so I was made the Scottish weatherman and um, I always remember the rehearsal went great um, but uh, I, I then lost the role because it was decided that I was just no one could understand me and um, so about, about six months later I was speaking like this except much higher um, so I suppose that's always been in me, having to fit in yeah. and sort of change slightly um, around other people. And um, and for my friends that are only kids who aren't sort of selfish, I think that they are the they're the kind of people who I know, two in particular. I know I could take them to anything, anything at all, and they would fit in, and they would be your sort of wingman, and they would talk to anyone. I could take them to some weird wedding of someone I hardly know. And they would be great. They'd be a hit. Um, I could take them to some fancy awards do and surround them with celebrities and they would be the hit because they ask questions, they listen. Sink or they've swim. They've got stories. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they think about the other people. It's like a dance sometimes meeting a new person. You have to listen to them and not just listen to them as in wait for them to stop speaking. You have to process the words and find something to say about it that isn't about you, that is about them. Because as much as anything, it's about putting the other person at ease. Um, and I think that, you know, if we all did that a bit more, we could. Uh, it could be the only child method. Fuck, I mean, what are any of us going to socialise like when this is over? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what are, are any of us? We're all, we're all only children now. That's it, truly. Yeah. Like, people yeah. in isolation, people who've had to, God forbid, like, isolate entirely alone. Like, this oh. is, it's going to be, it's going to be weird. So how are you going to raise these small people in your house in this moment uh, where you feel like this country, this world, like is still in need of more kindness, more empathy, more listening, more understanding for parents out there who are listening to this or for young people out there, for whoever who's thinking, how do I, how do I make sure that I don't get dragged into the gutter this kind of swirling pool gutter that can like pull us all in very easily if we allow it to. What What's your plan to to keep the people you love away from that swirling? What What, what I do, and I, you know, I'm no great expert. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a dad, and I've got three kids, and there's loads of parents out there with loads more kids than me, and have been doing it longer. But what I do is um, I tr- just try and highlight decency. And show it as the virtue that it is. And that doesn't mean slating people when, when they sort of get it wrong, mm-hmm. but it does mean being honest about those things when, when they are wrong. And when, you know, a politician does lie, there's a lesson there. Um, we shouldn't, at a, at a point where trust is so important, we shouldn't be teaching um, them to trust everything they see and hear. Yeah. Um, we should be teaching them to think about it or question it. But the most important thing is to highlight the decency and to always praise the decent mm-hmm. for doing the decent thing. And not to look at it and as a weakness. Never to it's look at so it as a much, weakness. It's so much easier to be always a Always to look at it as a strength. It's always yeah. a strength, yeah. Oh, always. And um, and I think that... Um, I think it's working. Um, they, they, they are the most delightful people um, in the world for me. And they are super friendly and super welcoming and they always think the best of people. Um, but they always really appreciate the decent as well. And I think that to have that appreciation of the decent, mm-hmm. which we've taken for granted for so many years, but which in the past several has come into question. We talked about rudeness early. We talked about reality TV. We talked about finding that, that attitude refreshing somehow. And that then seeped into our politics and, it was better for people to have 
a rude thing to say than nothing to say. And it was yeah. better for them to be undiplomatic than diplomatic. And those are all things we have to turn our back on. And we just have to highlight and celebrate the decent. Yeah. And and just I just want to be clear, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but mm-hmm. Danny and myself are not encouraging you to have to necessarily always turn the other cheek or have to rise above no. and swallow shit. No, no. I mean, neither of us no, do no, no, that no, no, if no. you've ever seen either of us online. But I yeah. think it's just knowing where the line is and maintaining yeah. your humanity and knowing that you're not going to look back on that as something that you're ashamed of. You're allowed to yeah. stand up for yourself or to stand up for what's right. But You just, can give as good as you get. Yeah. And don't tell teenagers to go to therapy in a short tweet that that, that doesn't have nuance or context around it because you sound like a fucking prick. Um, so <laughs> uh, we, we both want you to say yes more, not always, but mm-hmm. yes more. That's a thing that we want everyone to yeah, go so forward yeah, with. Yeah. yeah, Grab opportunity we, and if you regret it, that's okay. Because it's a great story. And to look at yeah. failure as an opportunity for a lull. That's what I do yeah. anyway. Yeah, um, exactly. Danny, before you go, will you please tell me what do you weigh? I weigh two leggy displays and one, but no, I, I, I weigh, um, I weigh, uh, I weigh a clear conscience. I weigh, um, three kids that make me laugh every day. Hmm. And, um, and, uh, and I weigh it all in chips. <laughs> and he means, he means the the thick cut proper chips. Hot, yeah, proper yeah. chips, not crisps. Proper chips. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, Danny, thanks for my life. Uh, my adulthood <laughs> has been significantly more fun because you were born and you wrote a book, and I, well, I really good. can't. I cannot. I'm not overstating that. I can't. I cannot explain to you how how much how glad I am that you've never asked for a percentage of my earnings, even though you totally could. <laughs> Um, and and even this fucking podcast I have because I went on your podcast years ago <laughs> and your yeah. producer Colin is now yeah. sitting on the other side of this glass and he's now my producer because he sort of discovered me and my voice because I was on yeah. your podcast. So you just keep giving. And so Isn't if, if nice? there's well, anything you I, need, mate, <laughs> if there's anything you have all, need, I'm so fucking in debt to you. <laughs> all I ask is that you remember me and your will. A hundred percent. If I haven't been sued to death by then, uh, yeah, it's, it's all yours. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson and the beautiful music that you're hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. I really appreciate it and it amps me up to bring on better and better guests. Lastly, at I Weigh, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can Leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iweighpodcast at gmail.com. It's not in pounds and kilos, so please don't send that. It's all about your just, you, you know, you've been on the Instagram anyway. And now we would love to pass the mic to one of our listeners. I weigh my resilience and resourcefulness. I weigh the ability to get through whatever shit life gives me. I weigh the power to keep going. I weigh being myself. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah, the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.